But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the wonderful treasury that you have given us in your wisdom and in your redemptive purposes that we have in the Holy Scriptures, where you have made your thoughts, your will, yourself known to us, that you have made Christ known to us in the wonder of the gospel. We pray, God, that you would make us faithful, both in the proclamation of the word this morning and in the hearing of your word this morning, that we might together Listen, trust, and obey. So, Father, would you grant us eyes to see and ears to hear? And now I pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard, for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, speak to us. As you have spoken, would you now speak in your word to us? Speak, Father. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout his Institutes of Christian Theology, one of the... um, 16th century reformers named John Calvin wrote this gigantic work of theology called the Institutes of Christian Religion. And in it, he uses this phrase talking about creation. He calls it over and over again, the theater of God's glory. The theater of God's glory. That creation is meant to be, is designed and created to be the arena the sphere in which we both behold the glory of God and we know the God of glory. That creation is designed, the world, the sphere, the world that we're on is is designed by God, the creator himself, to be the place, to be the, the arena, the theater in which we interact with God. We have no other space. No other place, there's no other horizon, there's no other spatial place that we could go to interact with God except for the place that God has created. That the very intention of creation is rooted in the nature of God. That God Himself exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect fellowship in perfect relationship, and out of the overflow of that loving relationship within the person, the nature of God, overflowing, creation happens, and He creates a place. He creates a space. He creates time, and it is in this time and in this space that we are designed to interface and to connect with God. So God does not connect with you by you somehow escaping time and space. 
God does not design you to meet with him in some mystical, ethereal experience, but he has designed this world to demonstrate and to declare his glory day in and day out for you and for me. We are created to connect with God here. And I think we can say we're created to connect with God here and now. But too often when we think about creation where we Christians get kind of muddied. Somehow we confuse when Paul tells us and Peter tells us that we're to be or the whole Bible tells us that God is holy and we ought to be holy. And and then we think about our holiness as somehow separating from the world. Now, that's true in and of itself that we're called to separate from the world. But the world is the the sinful complex of fallen humanity that makes associations in rebellion against God. There is a coalition of fallen humanity falling into the rebellion of Satan and his cohort that is at odds with God. And we ought to be removing ourselves from that. So where the culture and where the society seems aligned in a way that is contrary to what God has said, we must separate from it. When we use the word, the the language of separation from the world, we are not intended to separate from creation and somehow meet with God somewhere else. Because there's nowhere else for us to meet with God. Do you get what I'm saying? You don't you don't transpose yourself. You don't sit in the corner of your house and put your fingers together and say enough times with your eyes closed and somehow arrive at some nirvana experience thinking that's God. That's not how God has designed you to meet with him. God has made you a whole person and it is your whole person body and soul that is meant to be interacting with the world around you to meet with God. And maybe you're thinking, duh, maybe you're thinking, what did he just say? Or maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know if I agree with you. That's all well and good. Um, But I can't think of anything more important, more important that's at stake than your day in and day out connecting in relationship with God than this subject. That when you begin to see the world as you ought to see the world. And when I say creation, I don't just mean sunrises and sunsets, right? Those are beautiful, wonderful, and they they should elicit thanksgiving and worship from Christian hearts. I don't just mean the Grand Canyon, the wonders of the world, or a solar eclipse or some other wonderful event in creation. I don't just mean those things. But I mean your, your boring, mundane, ordinary life. When you wake up in Elgin, South Carolina, and for the most of us, there are too many trees to see the sunset. There's too many trees to see the sunrise. I don't have a Grand Canyon around here. What about the rest of us? The world is designed and made by God to be the theater of his glory. These false teachers that had infiltrated the church at Ephesus were preaching a different message. They were preaching a different message about the nature of the world. And when you start talking about preaching a different message about the nature of the world, then you're going to come away with a different nature of God. 
And this is precisely what these false teachers want to do. These false teachers begin twisting what creation is. And by twisting what creation is. You end up twisting your image and concept of God. Because this is the theater of his glory. And he's created this place to demonstrate his glory to us. For us to celebrate and revel in his goodness. He's created this now, this place, this time, this world for his glory. Now, obviously, this world is not as it ought to be. Your morning has probably testified to that. Right? You have, for us, right? Kids are not, they're not like all the way sick, but they're definitely not all the way well. Had a long weekend, had a birthday party, had field trips this week, and they, they all got the, you know, stuff's flowing, they're coughing, the baby didn't sleep last night, and the baby doesn't sleep. Nobody sleeps. The only one that slept all the way through the night last night was Henry. And just to tell you how enthusiastic he was this morning, we're, um, we're running around Sunday mornings, running around making breakfast. And, and um, from, the, from the bar stool there, at the, our kitchen has this sort of elbow in it. Uh, and we have bar stools there. And he's, sit, he's sitting there. And that's where they like to eat breakfast in the morning. And he says, Daddy, kiss Mommy. So I, I kiss Sarah Beth on the forehead. And he goes, just fist bumps to <laughs> So enthusiastic. And the rest of us are thinking, just everybody be quiet, right? The baby's crying. Evelyn Mays, she's worn out from her birthday party yesterday. It's just, and James Allen's James Allen. And it's just, it's often, and then Henry's just celebrating this. It was just, it was awesome. And I was like, I need to live in Henry world right then. Like, that's how, that's how we're supposed to interface in the world around us. Just celebrating. You know the world isn't as it ought to be. Your world isn't as it ought to be. The world around us, right? We have wars, there's sickness, there's death, there's violence, there's oppression, there's poverty. There's, well, the list could go on and on and on of the brokenness. And all of these things are the whirlwind of sin. Sin has come into God's good world. This place that ought to be the theater of God's glory has now become twisted and and, in many ways corrupted by our own sin. And you know this for the fact that your relationships, many of them, aren't what they ought to be because of sin. Because of your sin or the other person's sin, dishonoring God and refusing to live God's way, we introduce brokenness into our own environment and then we wonder why things aren't right. And when you add that collectively, not just over the seven billion some odd people that live on the planet today, but generation after generation after generation after generation since the creation of the world, we have a lot of garbage residue that we're born into in this world. The world isn't as it ought to be. But despite the fact that the world isn't as it ought to be, it does not mean that the world is altogether gone bad. Don't misunderstand me. People are, there's none good, no, not one. They are none righteous, no, not one. Left to ourselves that we will continually run away from God. But that does not mean that God who has made this world by his very word 
to testify of him. Nothing, no one, no power can stop the mouth of God. And so when scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God, the heavens declare the glory of God. That you wake up and go to sleep in an unending sermon before you. Declaring God's glory. This is the theater of God's glory. And God has given you all of this. To bring you joy. To bring you delight and gratitude towards Him from the very beginning. He makes Adam and Eve and He puts Adam into the garden. This wonderful place that God has designed and has ordered. And Adam is given the charge to cultivate it and to keep it. To work it and to protect it. And we see that it doesn't, he doesn't do his job. That our first Adam fails. And because our first Adam fails, sin runs into the garden. Satan infiltrates the garden. And disrupts the peace and the shalom, the well-being of humanity and all of creation. And yet God does not keep his mouth shut. But he gives a promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent would bruise his heel. This first statement of the good news of Jesus, that God had not given up on this world and that this world continues, it continues to function to declare God's goodness God's glory, God's nature. But that message in creation is not enough. It's a message that we often corrupt and twist. Romans chapter 1 goes into it in great detail. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That fallen humanity wants to shut the mouth of God. Sin wants to shut the mouth of God in creation and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what can fallen humanity do in the face of an unyielding sermon day in and day out, morning and night? It is good in God's eyes, declaring the glory of God. What can we do to evade the creator? We must corrupt the creation. So that you begin to see it in a way disjointed from God. You begin to see the world around you and maybe in our current culture in a purely naturalistic, mechanical way. Well, the law of gravity does this and then there's the nitrogen cycle and there's photosynthesis. All good, glorious, wonderful truths. But if if that's all you see happening in the world around you, then it has been corrupted in your mind. To disjoint you from your creator. And so now in being disjointed from the divine. Made for the divine. We are left to ourselves. And what happens? You have a abounding. It seems like. Especially in our culture today. Ways of people trying to connect with God. In whatever way they can find possible. Where God has already spoken. These false teachers do exactly the same thing. They're being led by deceitful spirits. What they are preaching and teaching are demonic messages, doctrines of demons, Paul says in verse 1, I think it is. 
That the, they're, they're, and these doctrines are being introduced by, by false teachers. And they are saying, he notes two messages in verse 3. They are men who forbid marriage and they advocate abstaining from foods which God has created. That the message of the false teachers is marriage is bad. Those foods are bad. Now you're thinking, what on earth does it have to do with us? What you need to see is that the false teachers here do the same thing as Satan when he comes into the garden. These false teachers do the same thing by twisting their understanding of creation. They want God to look curmudgeonly, stingy, dull. Remember, all right, let's go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, right? Chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2 kind of zooms in to the creation of Adam and Eve. And then chapter 3 is the introduction of sin, the, the fall of humanity. Now, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now listen carefully. He said to the woman, indeed has God said... You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now that sounds like that's an approximation of the truth. Like if we were playing the telephone game across the sanctuary, that's probably better than what we would end up with. If I said something over here and you whispered in ears and then I listened to what came out over here, it'd probably be crazy different. Um, But what Satan does is that he entirely flips what God had said on its head. He takes the word of God And he has enough of it that it sounds like, yeah, that's about right. Eh, Sure. Has God really said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. But listen to the difference when God says, you can eat from any tree of the garden except for one. Or what Satan says, did God said, you can't eat from any of them. You can versus you can't. When God says you can eat from every tree of the garden except for one, it is an articulation of the goodness of God and that he has designed this world for our enjoyment and our enjoyment would lead us to him. There was was an amen out there. Amen to the amen, right? God has made this world for his glory. And if he's made this world for his glory, then he's made us to enjoy him through it. You understand? Your bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit this morning was given to you so that you would revel in the goodness of God. Or whatever you eat in the morning. Oatmeal with no, nothing in it, trying to be healthy. Even that, good for your cholesterol. Glory to God. God has given it to you, right? But th- that's exactly what Satan wants, is that you come to it and says, Oh, I hate my oatmeal. And I hate the cereal. And I like my coffee a different way. And I can't believe in the traffic. And I can't believe I have to work here. And I can't believe this is what my wife is like. I can't believe this is what my husband does. I can't believe my kids are like this. And all the while, he's paving over your joy and making you bitter, resentful, while you turn a blind eye to all of God's goodness around you. That is the work of demonic doctrines in your life. If you are dominated by resentment and bitterness, on discontentment, you're continually 
coveting other people's things and other people's lives. Satan has a hold in your life, Christian or non-Christian. And that's exactly what these false teachers want. God's not good. Marriage is bad. God gave marriage to humanity. It's not just a mechanism for procreation. It is to be delighted in by husband and wife only. Man, woman, for life. To show the commitment of Christ in His church. And the fruitfulness of Christ in His church. Bringing many sons to glory. A Christian marriage before God is a good, 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 hard, good, good gift. Y'all know. Some of y'all know. Abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared. If He's given us this world to be delighted in. So that we would delight in him. Now don't misunderstand me. You can delight in the gifts to the forgetting of the giver. You understand what I'm saying? You can be so absorbed with the gifts. So absorbed with your food. So absorbed with your recreation. So absorbed with your self-satisfaction. But if that's the case, then you're not actually delighting in God in it. You're delighting in yourself in the gift. You see the difference? If I'm receiving this gratefully as something God has created, and it should be gratefully shared with thanksgiving, shared by those who believe and know the truth, that the God, whenever Paul talks about the truth in, in 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, he's talking about the gospel. And the gospel not only reorient, this is awesome. This, the gospel not only reorients me to, to God, right? It connects me to Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I'm justified. I'm being adopted into his family. I'm sanctified. I, I will be glorified. Sin is gold is gone. The new has come. Awesome. But the gospel also reorients me to the world. And that what's, once what, that was dark and crusty and it was full of bitterness and anger and wrath. Now I see God's goodness is all around us. That the truth reorients us to gratefully receive the gifts of God. But if you're receiving the gifts of God and you're not doing so gratefully from the gospel, then you're doing so in idolatry. If the gifts become the sum and substance of your joy, like I have to have that thing, or I live for that meal, or I live for this person, then you're not Enjoy, you're not gratefully receiving what God has given to drive you to, you, to himself. But he's, you're, you're receiving a lesser life. You're receiving a diminished life. And this is something you need to get. That, that whether you are saying, I need to be super holy. And so I need to res, re, completely remove myself from all worldly attachments. From all worldly enjoyments. The sort of legalism, super spirituality Overly ascetic, where you're beaten up on yourself and you have to be, that, that's the road of holiness. I need to separate. Or you're saying, I'm going to consume as much of this, this stuff as I can. I'm going to have it all and have it my way, Frank Sinatra. I want it all on my terms. This is Burger King, another cultural reference for you kids. <laughs> that both of those. Both of those are not from the gospel. And both of those are diminished life. 
They are a diminished life. Both the life of legalism and self where you're beating up on yourself, removing from the world, legalism, or the license of saying, I'm going to have whatever I want, whenever I want it, however I want it. Both of those are less than what God offers you in the gospel. Both of those are less than what this world ought to be to you in the gospel. This, is, this, is, this should change tomorrow. This should change your tomorrow. And before that, it should change when you walk out that door. And you, you behold the, the sort of panorama, or whatever door you walk out of, where you going, wherever you want to go, wherever you, whichever direction. And you see what's ahead of you. For some of you, you'll go out there and you'll see the trees and the cars and the stop sign, stop light, and I don't know, the bank and O'Reilly's and Tony's Pizza. And you could say, <laughs> or you could say, look at all this. This is here so I can enjoy it and enjoy God. Look at the sun. Look at the sky. It declares the glory of God right now. Let me revel in the goodness of my God. Now that's going to sound cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs to the world around you, but so be it. But don't let it sound crazy in the church. That must not sound crazy in the church. We should be able to take wonder in the small, like, here, look at this little, one day I was coming by here. Okay, I'm Okay. One day I was coming by here and there was on the wall over here, there was this gigantic praying mantis. But it was not one quite that big, but it was, that would be terrifying. Uh, but it was seriously like this big. And it was just this, this sight of, I've never seen a, a praying mantis. That, I think they're actually an invasive species, like from Asia or whatever. Um, but I was delighted that day to see this thing that God had, that, that if, if in Jesus, all things hold together, the apostle Paul says. Colossians chapter 1. In Christ, all things hold together. From praying mantises to the bushes on which they reside to we ourselves that Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Then this whole universe is meant, upheld by Christ for his ends. And Jesus means to glory, to see you glory in them. Glory in him in them. That he's given these things to us to delight in him. Now delight in Christ. Delight in the word of God. Delight in the Holy Spirit above all. But don't be so spiritual that you miss out on the very theater of God's glory before your eyes day in and day out. That's not spiritual. That's blind. That's just blind. And I don't know what you'll do in the new heavens, the new earth, when we have a sanctified vision of a world. Have you thought about the end of the book? New heavens and new earth. New bodies. That Jesus, this is Jesus. I mean, this isn't Jesus, but this is how Jesus is in glory right now. Do you know that? He hasn't, he didn't slough off the body as it was something gross. The son of God, the eternal one of glory was incarnate, born of a woman, truly man and truly God. And the son of God never got rid of his body. He laid it down in death to buy you back from sin and death. And he took it up again to the vindication of the gospel. And for the glory of God, he sits in flesh, sanctified, immortal, imperishable, but in flesh at the right hand of God the Father today as a promise that when we go, we might go, this body goes down into the grave. Our souls go up to be with the Lord. But one day, dear one, That body's going to rise. 
I don't care what you do to it. I would prefer that you bury it. But I know sometimes stipulations or space, cost. I don't care what you do to it. I don't care. God can raise it up. God can raise it up and he will raise it up. And we will live in a new heavens and a new earth. And this world will be what it ought to be. Consecrated, redeemed, restored by the truth of the gospel. And so in the meantime, as we enjoy creation now, it prepares you and it reminds you that you're going to really, really, really enjoy creation then. You're going to really, really, really enjoy streets of gold and crystal sea and all that jazz. I don't want to sound flippant, but I think there's a beholding of heaven and glory that we cannot comprehend. So God has created these things. So notice, God has created them to be gratefully shared. So it's the intention of God that creation, marriage, foods, the world around us be enjoyed for his glory. God has created them to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. So we have two testimonies already about creation. God testifies it's meant to be gratefully shared. Those who believe and know the truth of the gospel. Again, this is where sometimes we so truncate and chop off the gospel as we rob people of a sanctified vision of the world. If your gospel is simply about getting your soul out of hell into Jesus's presence, that's not the full gospel. That's plenty good. Don't get me wrong. But there's more to it than that, dear ones. And when, when you begin to see Jesus is bringing restoration to all things, Timothy 3, 5, uh, Matthew 19, 38, I think it is, uh, that he's bringing restoration to all things. And you go out and that means, one, that you can enjoy the world around you. But also, also in the name of Jesus, you can labor to make this world better around you. Because you have a vision of what it will be. For everything created by God is good. The principle is in verse 4. So it's not what these false teachers are saying. It's not what Satan is saying through them. But it's what God says that everything created by God is good. And that when false teachers arise, they attack creation and by twisting creation they will twist and corrupt our understanding of God what are some of the most prominent I had a whole list of things I was going to say but I think the one that most most appropriate one for our day and age where the doctrine of creation is being corrupted and to twist our understanding of God is a two-sided coin of homosexuality and transgenderism Those are doctrines of demons that have been introduced into the church. And there are too many churches in the name of love and acceptance who are either don't know the gospel or they're too ignorant to see that Satan has infiltrated their ranks in the name of an abhorrent form of tolerance. To say that anywhere in the beginning of the Bible or anywhere in the scriptures God creates 
men and men to be together and women to women to be together or creates a man that's really a woman that's really, it gets so confusing. And I'm not trying to be a mockery of it, but it is a false doctrine. And there are false teachers who are writing books to you about Jesus and the gay Christian, you know, all, and they're sort of, and I don't even want to get into all of it. And that's somewhere where you're corrupting the understanding of creation. You're corrupting the understanding of marriage. So therefore you corrupt the understanding of the family and you corrupt this world. And you make God the author of confusion and not of order. And you make the gospel something else about saving people who once were those things, just like we were. And somehow Jesus coming and saying, yes, I affirm you. I applaud you. And this is the message that's swirling around us. And and the church has, by and large, in too many places, swallowed the pill. And so you see whole denominations that have lost their way right here. And they have fallen for the doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits. What then should we do? Well, the one thing I can tell you that you're not supposed to do. You do not. You do not. Go dig a bunker. Don't go dig a bunker. A root cellar. Line it with all your non-perishables and move in until Jesus returns or you die. That is not he has called you to do. Amen. He has placed you in this world to enjoy it for his glory and to point to his glory and to work to see his kingdom come in this world, in this time, at this place. That you have work to do. And you know, Christian, you know beyond anyone else, beyond anything else, you know the end of the book. You know how things turn out. And so you can work, you can revel in your marriage, you can revel in your kids, you can revel in the good foods, and you can sing the songs. You can mock sin, Satan, and hell tomorrow. As some of you dress up, go out and trick or treat, you mock the forces of hell because Christ has triumphed over them at the cross. You sing the songs of the redeemed on Sundays, but throughout the week, because what God has given It is created by him. It's good and it should be joyfully received with gratitude. That part of our faith, the thanksgiving that we can give back to God. Part of that, yes, thanks. Thank God that he sent Jesus. Thank God that Christ died, that Jesus rose. Thank God that he's coming again. Thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Scriptures. But God cares about more of your life than just this moment on Sunday mornings. He wants your whole life sanctified by the gospel of Christ. And that includes the secular parts. That includes your work. That includes your home. That includes your neighborhood. That includes our community in Elgin or wherever some of you drive in from other parts of the Midlands. He cares about those things and they ought to be seen to be redeemed for his glory so that they may be received with gratitude and gratitude flowing out, making things better.
How do you go to war in a culture that's at war with you? The word of God, prayer, and thanksgiving. Because this is still our father's world. And his word still resounds here. Irrevocably. You cannot remove the glory of God from creation despite your best efforts. So we delight and rejoice and we receive what God has given because it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. This world is made holy because God said it's holy. It's sanctified by his word and then by our grateful reception signaled by our prayer of thanksgiving. So don't let the good gifts of God go by you any longer. Stop and smell the roses for God's glory. Enjoy a good lunch for God's glory. Take a good nap, those of you who can, for God's glory. Get a good night's rest. Wake up and go to work for God's glory. Be productive, creative, innovative for God's glory because this is God's world. There's so much I want to say here. And I don't have, I don't, this is, it'll turn into 15 sermons. So just this one. Don't let the gifts of God go by you any longer. And for some of you, don't let the gift of God go by you today. That God has given the most precious, the most precious thing in heaven has been poured out for you in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So that everyone who trusts in him, everyone who believes in him, everyone who calls out upon Christ can be saved. Be saved from the wrath to come, but also be saved from bitterness, resentment and missing the goodness of God right before you. And to have a place created for you in heaven above. Don't let don't let the gift of God go by you today. But Christian. How will this message, how does the truth of the gospel shape your tomorrow? How can you showcase in gratitude and thanksgiving? How can you showcase the goodness of God by thanking him for where you are right now? Now, I know, I know, I know. But I need to say this. How can you thank God How can you show the creator God thanksgiving for not just like all the sparkly things in the universe, but also for where he has you right now? And I don't say that ignorantly and I don't say that flippantly. Some of you feel like you're in the doldrums of hell. You're suffering. Things are falling apart around you. Your body is falling apart. Your job is falling apart. Your family is falling apart. And I I, I know But you have a sure and steady promise that you can be thankful for today. One, that he does not leave you or forsake you. That Christ is with you and he cares for you. But beyond his mere presence, that he is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's all well and good when things are flying high. That's a different pill to swallow when you're in the middle of affliction. But it's the same truth, day and night, up or down. He is working for your good. So you can be thankful. 
You can be thankful for his purpose in your life. You can be thankful for his direction in your life. And that he is not yet done. Return to him in faith and trust him. Let me pray for us and then we'll transition into the Lord's Supper. Father in heaven, I pray, O oh God, that this word would land upon, upon fertile soil for your name. That you would begin to deal with us and help us to see the places where we have settled for a diminished life. A diminished view of the world. Where we see it as just ashes and dust. But Lord, it is the theater of your glory. Would you teach us through the gospel to enjoy what you have given so that we might bring glory to you. And as the world around sees us, that we would be joyful people. The where you have placed us and when you have placed us because we are Jesus's people and this is his world. Lord, bless us now as we take the Lord's Supper. Would we taste forgiveness and cherish Christ in our hearts? We pray this in his name. Amen.